Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Well, for those of you uh, outside and for those of you now on YouTube, for you on YouTube, uh, our apologies, some technical difficulties getting online, uh, but I'm glad we are. Uh, some important things that we want to let you know, some announcements. Uh, first off, on Friday, June 11th at 7 p.m., we are going to have a Zoom call, and we'd like everyone to be a part of it. Uh, we want to kind of see you guys and let you know what's happening as things are changing and opening back up. Uh, we want to let you know how we plan to move forward and open up and just talk to you guys, see what things uh, you or concerns maybe you have that would make you feel insecure, what things we can do to help you feel safe and comfortable uh, meeting together again. And so that's going to be a Zoom call Friday, June 11th at 7 p.m. We will put the link out on all our social media I'm going to get that out to uh, Brian and Randy to put on the social media so that we can uh, present that to everybody so that you'll know where to find us. Click on that and allow that to be a time where we can at least start to see each other again and plan for when we kind of have a opening, which is going to be Sunday, June 20th, I believe. Um, I'm terrible with dates, uh, but I believe that's it. Yes, Sunday, June 20th, we are going to have our kind of reopening since the 15th is kind of the reopening for California anyway. Um, it's also Father's Day. We didn't plan that. It just happened to be that way. Um, we would have done it on Mother's Day had we known, but it is going to be happening Sunday, June 20th. Again, here live at 10 a.m. Another thing that I wanted to let you know, as things are opening up, I know many of you know that we have been able to negotiate with our landlord here for the two spaces that we have uh, a reduced rate for uh, the both spaces for the month. They've actually cut the rate in half that is changing. Coming July 1st, we are going to have to pay the full amount again. I share that with you guys just so that you know, so that you can 
be aware of the needs that they are going to go up financially and you can continue to support Genesis through uh, the offerings there on the screen has all the ways that you can give. You can go to the website, thegenesisstory.com, click on the giving tab, or you can do it through Zelle, Venmo, or of course you can even mail things here to the building. But that's how you can continue to support us so that we can continue meeting the needs of the building and all the things that come along with what we desire to do. Those things that we want to do, we'll let you know more about that again on that Zoom meeting regarding the children, uh, opening up some space for the kids to be able to come here so that you adults can come who have children and still gather with us. We want to make these things available to you. And so again, join us on Zoom Friday, June 11th, 7 p.m. We will put the link on all our social media as well as probably the website so that you can follow along. And what we're going to do is actually just kind of blanket all of you with a text and the information as well because we really do want to see you again on the Zoom call and hear from you and have a conversation with you. So that's taking place then. Um, That's it for right now. Again, take two happens here live 7 p.m. on Wednesdays, join us if you can, and we are also opening this space up for that as well. So if you want to gather with us on Wednesday nights, 7 p.m., you can come here to the building as well. Okay, with that being said, and with us actually being live now, (laughs) um, we are continuing our series on transformation, and today we're going to be talking about significance The last few weeks, we've been talking about how we want to really discern what God is doing in our lives. And we've talked about discerning the area of security, how we tend to want to hold on to things to find a sense of security. And we need to be aware of our leanings in that way. We we want to be mindful of where our security is and where it's not. We, we also talked last week about belonging, the importance of recognizing that you belong and, and it's not about the things that you do or have that make you belong. It's not something outside of what God gives us that helps us find this sense of belonging. And today I want to find a core and ground ourselves in significance. And and the idea of significance is really the quality of being worthy. What, What makes you worthy? And as followers of Jesus, we could immediately go and say, well, it's, it's Jesus who makes me worthy. And, and of course, there, there's so much truth to that. But how is that living out in our lives? And what are the things that we need to detect and see that maybe we're not actually living into that the way we should? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. We're looking at the temptation of Jesus, and we're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to go through to verse 10. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 reads, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, 
if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. There are so many interesting things in these temptations. And the one I want to focus on today is the last one. Like, what does it mean to bow down and worship the devil? What is that about, right? What is actually taking place? What is the temptation here? And it's interesting that isn't it Jesus's mission to rule over the kingdoms of the world? Right? Wouldn't that be, isn't that a good thing? It's part of the job description of Messiah, right? Is to have this kind of reigning authority. And remember, temptation often isn't to do something bad as much as it is to take something that's good and twist it so that what's good in it is lost. The temptation that Jesus faces they aren't suggestions to do overtly wicked things. And, and like bowing down to Satan may seem overtly wicked, but we'll talk about that in a moment. And instead, the temptation is to accomplish his mission in ways other than the way of love or the way that God has prescribed the temptations aren't counterfeit goals as much as they're counterfeit ways. And I think that's an important thing to, to look at because oftentimes that's the temptation. Even as I said, this idea of significance isn't so much, oh yeah, it's not a matter of, well, I find significance from God and his love for me in Christ. It's the way that we live that out that might be the temptation we're having to deal with, right? The devil comes to Jesus again in this form of a good idea. His mission was to rule the kingdoms of the world. So why not take the devil up on his offer? Why not do it now? And what is this idea of worshiping the devil? The request seems so strange to me, right? Bow down and worship me. Was Jesus really tempted to bow down and worship the devil. And when I think of that, worshiping the devil, what comes to my mind is usually black masses, pentagrams, covens, right? Was this what Jesus was tempted to do? Doesn't that seem just so strange? It should, because I highly doubt that's anything close 
or remote to what is being suggested here. That kind of, quote, devil worship didn't even show up until the Middle Ages. So it's not that aspect that maybe we have in our minds from movies and the different things that we've heard. It's not nearly as harmful either as what the temptation was really to do. Bowing down to worship the devil is much more subtle a temptation than what we might think from that original sentence of, hey, bow down and worship me. There's a lot of subtle things taking place here where the temptation really is. And Luke's version of this temptation, the devil claimed that the authority and splendor of the kingdoms of the earth have been given to him and that he can give it to anyone he wants, which gives us a little more insight into maybe what this means. And what does the devil mean when he owns the authority and splendor of these kingdoms? It seems to me, my understanding of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, that what's behind the power and authority of these kingdoms is the power that we can look at as demonic of powerful force in contrast to how God shows power and violence. Turn with me to Luke 22. I'll show you what I mean. Luke 22, verse 24. A a dispute also arose among them. This is the disciples. As to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the king's of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves." You see, Jesus is now giving an understanding of the world's kingdoms and what they look like. And it's all about this authority over. It's all about these who have this rule over you. And he's saying, who's more important, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? And everyone thinks, well, it's the one who reclines and gets people to serve him. And he's saying, yet I'm here as the one who serves. Right? In 1 Peter 5, verse 3, Peter writes, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. What is the example? The example is that of Christ. You see, I think this temptation has a lot more to do with how things are supposed to be ruled rather than just who is ruling them. The common thing among every empire in the history of the world is that they rule through force and violence, that they subjugate others to their will through the threat of violence and death. The way they rule is through oppression, fall in line or else. And Jesus wasn't being tempted to conduct black masses. He he was being tempted to seize control and rule the nations the way the world did with force. This is what is meant by worshiping the devil. It's do things in the same way that we see the world doing that in this force. 
to rule the nations without going to the cross would not be the way of God. So Jesus said, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, I am going to do and live according to who God is and God designs me to be than to give in to what, in a sense, works in a way that is unlike the character of God. This way is why the kingdom of the earth belong to the devil. And it's part of what that counterfeit way of significance looks like. You make yourself significant by what you do. In this scenario with Jesus, it's by reigning as king. That's what I need to do is reign as king. You see, we, we have this understanding of, well, do the ends justify the means, right? It do... Does the ends determines what I need to do to get to the end. But you see, if the end is beautiful, if the kingdom of heaven is beautiful, then the means have to be beautiful as well to accomplish the beauty that it's moving towards. Otherwise, it's not genuine. It's not real. And, and, and this is thematic throughout the scripture, the New Testament. This is the, the theme about how the kingdom of God shows up, how it doesn't show up with the force, how it shows up in, in the most small ways, the, the menial ways. It shows up in a, a stable and a birth in Bethlehem, it shows up reaching out to fishermen. It shows up to the outcasts, those who are not in power, those who are the least of these. It shows up in ways that are so unassuming in contradiction to the ways of the world. And this, I believe, is what's meant when John says, love not the world or the things in the world. It's about this idea of how you take control, how you become significant. It's what I believe the whole book of Revelation is about. The book of Revelation has less to do with the end of the world and has to do with how God's world and kingdom is established rather than that of Rome's and all the kingdoms that work in like Rome. And and this reminds me of the Lord of the Rings. I don't know if any of you are Lord of the Rings fans, but I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And in J.R.R. Tolkien's story of the Lord of the Rings, the story revolves around this ring of power, right? This ring that was forged by an evil wizard. And the one ring was to rule over them all. And whoever wears the one ring wields this great power. And eventually the the ring falls into the hands of an exceedingly unremarkable character named Frodo, who's a hobbit. And in this story, there are wizards, there are warriors, there are kings, there are all these powerful people, but a hobbit is like the least of these. And one of the main themes of the story is that this well-intentioned character, right, experiencing the temptation to use the power of the ring for good, I'll take this power and I'll use it to stop the evil that is taking place. And Boromir, one of the characters, actually tries to take it 
and ends up dying because he plays a fool wanting to take power to supposedly use it for good, but it starts to consume him. Even one of the wiser characters, Gandalf, tells Frodo, don't even give me the ring because if I were to take it, I would succumb to it. I would try to use it for good, but end up being used by it. The temptation offered to Jesus is essentially one ring to rule them all. But Jesus understood that when you seize that kind of power, eventually that kind of power enslaves you. Thus worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He will not be enslaved to the power that is being offered to him. And that is how he would worship the devil and bow down. It's not some black mass. It's not literally bowing a knee. It's giving in to the power of force and domineering. This, by the way, is, again, most of the New Testament theme. It's not about how the world's going to end. It's not about so many things that we want to make spectacular. It's about how we give into power and what power we will give into. Jesus would become an all-powerful king, but it would be by a cross and not a sword. His significance would be in walking in the way of love, not power, which is illuminating to us, right? This is something that helps us to understand what we do to gain significance, right? He rejects the temptation here in the desert, but this temptation shows up again and again and again, right? After Jesus feeds the 5,000, they want to take and make him king. And we talked about this and he wouldn't because he knew what was in man and he didn't trust them. It wasn't in line with who he was. It wasn't to accomplish things the way he needed to do, right? When he starts speaking to his disciples and they say he's the the Christ, the son of the living God, and he tells them, I'm gonna be going to the cross. And Peter says, no, that's not gonna happen. I'll never let you do that. And what does Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Do you see the the correlation here? It's I'm not gonna let you go this way because there's another way you can do this. There's a way where you can do this with power. There's a way you can do this. You can take authority. There's a way where we can get the momentum of what's going on in your miracles and we can take it by force. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Get away, Satan. See the similarities here. He commands his arrest not to be a a violent one. When they come to take him and Peter cuts off one of the guy's ears, he says, put away your sword. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And he heals the man. Even on the cross when he is tempted to take matters in his own hands, he doesn't. The crowds, the religious leaders, the rebels who are being crucified with him are all just harassing him to use his power to save himself, and he doesn't. His significance, his worth, 
is not determined by his power and what he can do. Significance in the rest of Scripture seems to be just there, but in plain sight, right? The temptation of significance was at work when Eve took the forbidden fruit to gain access to wisdom outside of her relationship with God. The temptation of significance was at work when the Israelites demanded a king like the other nations. They wanted to wield the same kind of power that the other nations had. It was at work with the Pharisees when they tried to shame Jesus into silence, afraid of losing their power and influence that they were, Jesus would say, you're to have a righteousness that's better than the Pharisees. It was at work when James and John tried to politically maneuver their way into the highest seats of power in Jesus's government. It was at work in Saul of Tarsus as he breathed out murderous threats against the way, as the earlier church was called. It was at work when Simon the magician wanted the Holy Spirit and tried to pay for it. It was at work, but, un- but successfully resisted when the people of Lystra tried to make sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas after they performed miraculous healings. And whenever the apostles were arrested, beaten, or threatened for preaching the name of Jesus, we see significance at work. You see, all these places in Scripture, we see people trying to wield authority to to make something of themselves, to, to make their nation look like the other nations, to have control and power over the people, to to impress people with the things that we can do. All these things are ways that people try to make significantly their lives by taking control, having power, and usurping that power so that people will see them, recognize them, and then they will feel significant. But these are counterfeit ways to how significance is really established. We can see evidence in the temptation of significance at work in our lives daily when we act out of a desire to control or just want our way or force people to do something, whether it be coercively or even in a passive way sometimes. We just want our way. We succumb to the temptation of significance. Now, of course, these situations aren't usually immediately clear to us. So we have to take some patient attention to that. We have to have Kairos moments noticing maybe when you feel guilty for not accomplishing enough or your reaction when your will is not being done, when you want something to go your way and it doesn't, how do you react to those things? What, what's it telling you? And some of the things that we can notice is when we feel a need to be in charge of things. Why? Do you feel more significant when you are? When I feel that the world would be better off if people would just listen to me. Or maybe your family. You know, things would go a lot better if everyone just did what I told them to do. Are you getting significance from that? When we have difficulty letting someone else run things, maybe significance is at work. When we find that we usually drive the car rather than let someone else drive the car, maybe significance is at work. 
Now, not always, but maybe. If you have ever thought, I'm going to have to do this if I want it done right. Why do you feel that way? If it bothers you when people don't take your advice, maybe significance is the work. You're, you're determining who you are by how people respond to you. If you can justify, rationalize something in order for some good end to be realized, right? The ends justify the means. I can justify this if we do this this way. Maybe it's pushing you in a way that's a temptation to this. If you have a drive to accomplish great things so that people will notice you, maybe significance is at work. Now, again, in each of these things, significance might not be at work. That's why we have to discern what's going on. We have to process. We have to have that kairos help us see what's happening. But the core sin of significance is guilt because worth is measured in accomplishment. I am what I do, and there's always more to do. It usually shows up in comparison, right? If you go to a high school reunion, and I never went to my high school reunion. I went to three different high schools, so I had no school spirit. I don't know which one to go to, right? But if you go to a high school reunion and the idea is to see who is the most successful, who's making the most money, has the best job, why? Because you're trying to find significance. It's, trying, it, it's how people see you. It's what you do that helps them to see you in the right way. And so you're getting your worth from how people see you in the things that you do. Significance program for happiness is power and control or achievement. The silent message is, I will be happy when I achieve enough to be significant. When I have the status, the job, the money, the car, the clothes, the friends, I have to do these things to become significant. We chase achievement because we think it will bring us a sense of significance to our lives. And when it doesn't, we assume that some other achievement will. And the lie of significance is, I have something to prove. And because of this, we're constantly putting our energy and resources towards proving our worth. I want to impress people with the things I do, with the things I say, with how... They see me so that I can have this sense of worth. The false identity of significance is I am what I do, right? To be doing okay or to be average, well, that, that's not enough. Now I don't stand out. To be worse would be weak or dependent. But wasn't that the example of Jesus. I am here to serve. See, how do I become significant if I'm here washing people's feet 
If my job is menial, if my place in life and society is one that doesn't have any power, doesn't have any authority, am I insignificant? Do you see the pull at what we desire and what Jesus is saying and who Jesus was? The idea of significance is how I achieve these things, the things that I do. And the fear of significance is I don't have what it takes, right? We're chronically attempting to prove ourselves worthy, good, useful. Our fear is that we won't be able to come through in the crunch, that we'll be exposed as being weak. And if I'm seen as being weak, oh man, he wasn't good enough. He, he couldn't do the job. Now I have this feeling of insignificance. I didn't achieve the, the position. I didn't get the goal in, in my job. I didn't raise the perfect family. I, I didn't do the things the way people see them as successful. And now it plays on my idea of whether I'm worthy or not. I'm not a worthy parent. Why? Because my kids didn't grow up and, and all become pastors and go in the mission field. Does that make me insignificant? How do we overcome this, this compelling force to try and find ourselves worthy by the things that we do and how people see us? Well, following Jesus. I, again, this is discipleship. And I'm, I'm just amazed at my own life how throughout all my years of following Jesus, the idea of discipleship has always been about learning, achieving, and getting, and so little has been about serving. You know, this is what it is to be a follower of Jesus. It is to be like Jesus, right? And as the, the ideal human as the prototype of this new humanity, Jesus showed us the way to, to follow in overcoming these counterfeit ways. And so as we look at the cross, we look at what Jesus did, as we look at who Jesus was, it gives us an understanding of true significance, of what worth looks like. The cross looked like a, an ultimate fail, right, for the king of the Jews. We saw in scripture that it was a shame. This was a criminal activity. This is something that was deplorable and it was foolish. No one in power would have this death and yet Jesus does. What a terrible Messiah to go to a Christ. There is no deliverance. He didn't raise an army. He failed to capitalize on his popularity and to overthrow Rome. He spent too much of his time trying to train fishermen to do things that he was doing. How insignificant in the eyes of the world it was. And so to them, it was foolishness. It makes no sense. And in the end, he's crucified along with two other anonymous thieves. Right? On the cross, Jesus felt the full weight of the temptation of significance. Your life has come down to this. What do you have to show for yourself? All your followers have fled. One of the key ones has denied you three times publicly. 
To be tortured and killed is the ultimate consequence of weakness. And three days later, the one who humbled himself and became obedient to death, the death of a cross, is raised from the dead and is now exalted to the highest place, bearing the name that is above every other name. At his name, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How did that happen? And now those who are in Christ experience a power and significance that doesn't depend on their accomplishments, but simply on their adopted identity, which is freely given to them. There is nothing you did to earn significance. As disciples and members of his body, we share in this victory over the guilt of not doing enough. The sense of significance that has been lost in the garden is restored in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. This is incredible news because it's giving us an example of how we live significant lives. And it looks so different than the way we are being told. You see, the temptation of Christ to bow down and worship the devil was to find his worth in the ways that the world finds their worth by making themselves powerful, making themselves appear to be important by the things they do and the power they wield. And Jesus would not have any of it. And yet, his life has significance. Significance, significance, I have a hard time saying this word, tempts us to believe the lie that we must accomplish great things to be significant. There's nothing wrong with accomplishing great things, but it doesn't bring significance. The good news revealed in Jesus is that we are already significant just because we are in Christ, because we are following in his footsteps Significance is in this, who he is, what he did, how he lived. Remember, the ends and how we get there is also in the means. You can't get to the end significance that Jesus established without the means of being like Jesus getting there. You can't shortcut, push through, and the way that the world was. We are free to accomplish great and small things, knowing our significance doesn't depend on whether those projects succeed or fail. There is so much pressure, and on us as followers of Jesus, you know, and as pastors, you know, oh man, how big is your church? <laughs> well, first off, it's not my church. And it's huge. It's everywhere. It's in China. It's in Syria. It's in Mexico. It's in the United States, the church. But I'm not in charge of anything of power. I I don't have claim. I don't have to 
try to achieve a certain thing to be successful, to be significant. The lie that Eve believed about God is that he wouldn't share his power with us is dispelled in Christ, right? All authority in heaven and earth are mine. How are they his? He went to a cross and he conquered death. And then what does he say? He says, and now you go in this power. He just gives significance. Like I give candy to my grandkids, right? It's just like, here, go ahead, have it. God will empower us to accomplish wonderful things, whether big or small, with him and his kingdom. And don't you love the fact that little things are just as significant as big things? Don't you love that you don't have to do something enormous for it to be significant? Oh man, I I just didn't accomplish anything. It could be the smallest thing and it can be the most powerful thing. Jesus was with fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, women, the lower part of society. That's where he devoted his love, his attention. And these little things became monumental because the kingdom of heaven is built on all of this. This is all the fuel that pushes forward God's kingdom. This is all the material that it's built on. This is the gospel for those who wrestle with significance. God declares you significant and he gifts you so your work can be a blessing to the world, great or small. A powerful prayer for when we're struggling with significance is the second petition in the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer teaches us to trust that it's best when God gets what he needs, what he wants. And what he wants looks like Jesus, not enforcing submission. We trust that our Father's kingdom is what will empower our flourishing, not our kingdom. So we pray for his kingdom to come, his will to be done, trusting that it will go for us as it did for Jesus when he prayed this prayer. Now, I have so many questions and I have so few answers. And I just honestly don't know how this kingdom is supposed to show up so many ways. I don't know the role that government is supposed to to play and how it's supposed to operate, bringing security to the people while not forcing power over others. I don't know that balance. I'm not sure how it looks economically where we use our influence to help those in need and bring significance to others and still be able to flourish. I have questions on on how that's supposed to take place, right? And one of the things that's so 
difficult, especially as we are here celebrating Memorial Day weekend, as we remember the incredible sacrifice made by so many men and women for our sakes. It's humbling, and we are indebted And there is a reverence for these, and and rightfully so, a respect for these people who have given so that we can have. And yet at the same time, there is a frustration and even an anger for the powers that put some of these men and women in harm's way at times that weren't needed or, or were done for Motives that maybe aren't understood or questionable. And I don't have all the information, so I can't make good judgments. I I don't have all the facts, but I wrestle with these things. I wrestle with these things. How do I take the sacrifice of so many and how do I take the power of others that maybe are using people and come to a place where I can live out this idea of finding significance and it's a struggle that I have and I think it's a struggle that we all have and so sometimes the only thing I can do is be silent and be still and it's hard to find significance in silence. But I think it's some of the ways that maybe leans into it the most. Right? When someone insults me, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Don't defend yourself or return the insult. Better yet, bless those who curse you. When others speak In a meeting, do I feel the need to speak? Maybe I need to be silent. Let others take credit for my ideas. Let my good deeds be done in secret without announcing them. Jesus said, when you pray, go into the closet, pray. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. If I were to do chores, cook dinner, mow the grass, whatever, maybe doing it without any noise. Right? without music playing, without things going on. Just spend some time so that the silence can allow the moment to sink into my life. If I'm concerned that someone has the wrong idea about me, stay quiet. You know, I'm in a cohort, and every Wednesday I, I meet with seven other people, and, and we're talking about a lot of different things, and there is such a tendency in me to want to talk to want to share, to want to answer. And I'm finding it so healthy for me to say nothing. And I'm learning so much about myself and from others. And being silent is a way of actually finding this new form of significance. Notice when I'm tempted to talk about my achievements. Someone tells a story and I've got one up them. Oh yeah, I, that happened to me, but it happened, you know, on my way to school, going uphill in the snow, both ways. 
ask questions about others rather than offering something about myself. Find significance by being inquisitive, wanting to learn, caring more, and speaking less. You find your worth not in what you do, but in who you are in Christ. Your significance isn't dependent on great things that you might accomplish. Your significance has already been accomplished in Christ and now we get to follow in his wake and live significant lives because he is significant and we are living in the life that he gives. And I hope that this brings comfort to us if you're at home with your children and all you can do is take care of those kids, you think, man, I don't have a job. I'm not bringing in money. I'm not doing these things. That has no bearing on your worth, your value. If you're low on the totem pole, you're, you're at the bottom. I remember getting a new job and it's like, this is my, I don't know how many jobs I had in a short period of time. And I went to work in the lumber yard and I was just moving lumber. I went from being an engineer uh, for fire sprinklers and then I'm working in a lumber yard. And I remember one of the guys came out and goes, oh, who's your new yard dog? That was me. I was a yard dog. Now I'm a dog trainer. I don't know the significance, right? But that does not bear anything on who I am or my worth. Whether I'm a yard dog or a dog trainer does not reflect on my worth. And we need to understand the temptation like it was for Jesus to find significance and pushing ourselves to a place of prominence. there is a better way. That is the way of Christ who esteemed others more important than himself. And in that, there was significance. That is the means to get to the end. Let's pray. Father, I do confess to you that I am blind to the ways I bow my knee to try and find significance in what people think about me and the things that I do and what I achieve, what I have. God, I bow my knee whenever I take this idea of significance and live it out in these ways that are so unlike you, Jesus. And so I pray for myself, I pray for us, that we would learn and, and discern, Lord, when these things start to penetrate our lives, when we start to, to feel the need to 
push ourselves forward to to find the significance when we start thinking that our worth will be be determined by what we do or what we have or what people think of us, that we will worship the Lord our God and him only will we serve. That we would not believe this lie that who we are is determined by what we have and what we do and we would not commit the idolatry by worshiping something that has no value in the kingdom's eyes help us be aware Lord and I pray God you would set free those who are just bound in this idea of finding significance in these things that they do. Or those who are trapped with this need to totally perpetuate themselves as being a person. Who finds worth because of how spiritual they are, because of how much they trust God, because of how much they do, because of how much they, how much. Lord, significance doesn't come. It's given freely. Lord, may we freely receive and freely give so that we too can be your disciples. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. May you discern when you are bowing your knee to the idol of significance and may you be set free by Jesus to understand your value is found in him already God bless you guys we love you remember June 11th Zoom call 7pm we will talk to you and see you soon God bless you have been listening to the Genesis podcast We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.